Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Tom Wells here. Today is Friday, January the 5th, 2018, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. And uh, Tom, good morning. Welcome. It's Friday. We made it to Friday. Yeah, good morning, Walt. Looking forward to a good weekend. It's been a great week, so uh, this should be a good show. Well, here on the Eastern Seaboard, we got off to a head start because uh, here in Connecticut, uh, most towns got about a foot of snow. Um, I know closer to the Cape and Rhode Island, they got a foot and a half. Uh, up in Maine, especially around Brunswick, Maine, they got about two feet. So there's a lot of snow happy people right now. Um, particularly yeah. because this is like one of the first ones. It's the first one of 2018. There was one in, in 2017 that was fairly good. But, uh, wow. yeah, the kids especially are loving this stuff. Yeah, we need to get one here in Colorado. We're just not getting snow. And, um, I've seen getting some in the high country, but it would sure be nice to have some down here. And, the Mile High City. Yeah, that's pretty unusual around there. I mean, you guys usually outpace us for snow, so this year we're like, you know, we're returning the favor. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, enjoy it, you know. It's good for all your trees and oh, takes care of the water table. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, the only real problem, if you live especially in Vermont or New Hampshire or even Maine, uh, during the melt, that, that's what they call mud season. And mud season is uh-huh. not the happiest time, but other than that, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know the price we pay to live on the planet with right. beautiful trees and beautiful plants and grass. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I, and everybody up there will trade it easily. That's that's a trade they'll make every single day. But uh, yeah, there is that other side. Of it. <laughs> there is that other side. Yeah. So, uh, how about uh, wins? Anything good going on this week? Anything that was really, you know, a, a terrific win for you, or even just a you know, mundane average? Like, oh, this is a good stuff going on. <laughs> well, I think um, one of the main wins was that I'm starting to write more blogs, and I'm finding that um, everything is, in terms of what the message I want to get out into the world, is starting to come together more. Oh, good. Um, so, I'm I'm excited about um, bringing alive some energy inside myself that's been a little bit stagnant and I feel like things are really moving around my house and everywhere in terms of getting rid of clutter and I'm starting to just become more alive uh, with living in the moment of joy. That's that's my big win for this week. A lot more joy. That's really good, especially I'm getting rid of clutter. There are so many people who have trouble with that Um, and and I know perhaps not intimately, but I'm, I'm more aware of it than many simply because my wife has a little sideline that she does during the off season. She has the gardening se- uh, service during the regular gardening season, but in the off season uh-huh. for, for people who ask for it, um, she'll go in and, and organize a room or organize a garage or something like that. Uh-huh. And it's amazing what people, how people live. It's amazing how, and, and I'm not just talking like one or two, I mean like large numbers of people putting up with large amounts of clutter. So the fact that you had a breakthrough like that and you're getting rid of the clutter, whoa, congratulations to you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That's yeah, fantastic. it's just going to keep happening. Uh, I, I might be moving into a different place and I want to just be ready to move into any size place because I don't need, and I just don't want all this stuff because it all keeps me in the past and that's what i mm, don't yeah. want anymore a lot of it keeps me in the past no i can see how that would be that that makes a lot of sense and, and by the way congratulations on doing more of the blogging too um which i presume is in support of your coaching service 
but I yes, mean, it is. The, the fact that you're finding not only the time but the energy and the mo- motivation and the, the desire to put the content out does feed you. It feeds your soul. I mean, that's what I found with the podcast. That's that's why a month and a half ago I decided to go to you know daily instead of once a week because I needed to feed my soul more often, and that's what it has done for me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that the blogging is probably going to be doing the same thing for you. It's got to be. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad you're doing the podcast so frequently. It gives me a chance to do them twice a week. And yeah, right. <laughs> the fact that after I'm done with a podcast, I have a topic to write a blog about, and um, that just gives me a lot of inspiration. Then when I write, I get on the leading edge of my own creative growth, which is where I want to live. And so I noticed that after our show last week, you and I talked for almost an hour after the show. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Keep, yeah keeping the topic going because it was such so much so interesting to talk about it and then that led to this topic because we started talking about aging and today that's what we're talking about so aging and the law of attraction it I, and then when I started to dig into that a little bit and listen to some more things from Abraham about the aging process as as they don't want to call it I started realizing that wow this is exactly where I'm at with my own growth is into this uh, understanding. So this has really put me really face-to-face with how I live my life, which is what I really love to be in that place, you know, where I'm getting excited, really excited about how I live my life. I especially like the way Abraham treats death. They treat it very disrespectfully. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They say a lot about it, and um, I love how they... Their, their favorite word is croak. Their, their favorite word is croak to describe death. And they, they say it's their favorite because it's so disrespectful and they want to be disrespectful to it. And, and I think that's just so funny. I mean, the reason why, for those who aren't familiar with Abraham, it's not like they're just mean-spirited. The reason they want to be disrespectful for, toward death is they want to shift the human perspective about what death is all about and shift it away from agonizing pain and suffering and and uh you know just being mournfully depressed and all this other stuff into hey it's just a transition it's actually a very joyful transition there's nothing to get all all upset about so that's why they treat it so disrespectfully but i think it's funny they choose the word croak yeah i do too i think it's great (laughs) and you know somebody was asking abraham you know who is these unseen entities that live in the unseen realm and excuse me translated by esther hicks for those that don't know but it was asking about the aging process and how <clears throat> how would Abraham talk about the aging process? How do how do those in the unseen realm want to explain that to us mere mortals, uh, to those here in the body who are not mere mortals at all? But they said just the words aging process exhibits a belief in decline. Right. And that is the is the belief in decline that's the entire reason for the aging process. So you know that. We don't want to stop moving through time. There's a natural maturation that takes place at any age we are. It's just we're always maturing, but it's whether or not we're hooked into this belief that we're declining that is key to the entire uh, aspect of maturing, of aging in these bodies, and to the quality of life that we have. So if we think as we get older that, oh, I'm declining, I'm declining, and the whole culture around us is reflecting, yes, you are, yes, you are. How old are you? Oh, I'm 68. How old are you? I'm 75. And then the expectation of decline at each of those, you know, age markers becomes so significant and so focused on by people 
that it literally brings about decline. Right. It literally brings brings about death quicker and suffering. It, know, it, the suffering that we go through as our joints break down or our eyes go and our ear, our hearing goes and all these things, so much of it is unnecessary. I mean, I'm aging just by to, hearing that. <laughs> You're, you're what? Aging, I'm, just I'm, hearing it? I'm just falling apart right now. I mean, like I'm about to roll over. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like I know. Why did I say that? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's true. I mean, the, it's not just the word itself. Word the word aging is actually not a bad word, but the way we use it tends to reinforce this whole cycle of decline and you know, falling into a decrepitude and so forth. So it that's why it behooves us to change the word around. So I don't know what. You would think of uh, as an alternative, maybe one alternative might be the process of living, because the mm, process of yeah, living—that's that, a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't have any yeah. kind of negative associated to it, and it's something that goes on continuously for our entire lives. We live our entire lives, um, so mm-hmm. so I, I'm aiming to live and to really live and to do my living for a long, long time, living every step of the way. And I've even said long before I I, uh, became aware of the law of attraction, back when I was a kid, I used to say frequently, I want to just keep going and 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 have a nice long life of just going and going and going and having all kinds of fun and doing all this stuff and then drop dead. (laughs) Yeah, that's the way I've heard Abraham describe it. You know, it's like, have fun. Um have fun, have fun, have fun, drop dead. You know, right. sort of like, yeah. you know, basically that's the key. And the thing is, is, you know, that we're constantly launching rockets of desire by what we, what we know we want and what we know we don't want. We put constantly into our vortex more and more of the life that we want to be living. And they say that the only reason we decline is because we don't keep up with what we're asking for. Right. In other words, we're we're putting a lot of hopeful, wonderful things into our vortex, no matter what age we are. But when we when we don't keep up with it, and in other words, they said it's like if you asked for, um, you know, you you know, it's like life is saying life is supposed to be fun, and then source knows that, and source answers that call and and puts more fun into your vortex, and then you sit there going, but what about the fact that so many people are starving all over the world? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you get your your vibe into, oh well, how can we have fun when even when you know, like my son was saying that the other day, he said there's there's over a billion people starving every day, and and I thought, wow, that's pretty intense, you know, to be focused on that. Um, and I don't really totally believe that there's that many people that are starving, but it could be, you know. Anyway, the point is, is that even though there are people starving, it's our attention to them that's contradictory to the understanding of source because source knows, you know, something in a more wonderful way about how life works. And so when we focus on what we think is the downside of anything that we put into our vortex, we think about the downside. We They said the entire reason for decline is negative emotion. Mm-hmm. So any way, that, any way that we don't let ourselves receive what's in our vortex, that's causing resistance and resistance slows things down and the body doesn't like that resistance and it then starts producing the symptoms that we call aging interesting and, thing uh, there interesting really interesting thing well first i also want to draw attention to the fact that we, we mentioned you know go 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 long life and then die did you notice that there's a very big similarity between that 
and the way little kids are? Because little kids yes. will just run, 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 and then all of a sudden, boom, they fall asleep. And I mean, literally, exactly. if, if you've ever seen it, you can actually see a kid run, 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 and they'll fall over onto the floor, and as they hit the floor, they're asleep. And you say, how did yeah. that not hurt? But it didn't. They just fell asleep. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. But that's very yeah. similar to what we're talking about here. The other thing that occurred to me as you were talking about that is, wow, we talk about resistance as being the reason why we are unable to attract stuff. And I was just beginning to grasp in more fullness the idea that resistance is a much bigger issue than that. Resistance kills. Mm-hmm. Resistance mm-hmm. kills, literally. Yeah. Re- resistance yeah. is yeah. why we, we die prematurely. It's why we die these miserable... I mean, it's why we have all that stuff. Resistance kills. This is more than just trying mm-hmm. to attract what you want in life. This is like, whoa, this is like... Why are we even focusing on anything that's resistant? <laughs> it's exactly why I said that this call, as I started to dig into my understanding about it, is why this call became so vital to me because I realized that exact thing yesterday. And I just said to myself, my God, if I let myself continually to resist the things that feel good to me, the things that I think are fun, the things that I think bring me joy, the things that I think would be really cool to do in my life, if I keep resisting them and putting them off into the future, I am literally killing myself. I mean, you know, that, that's quite a concept. Yeah, that's really quite a concept. I mean, I, and I think about it in all walks of life. I mean, uh, let's see. Well, politics. Okay, so in politics mm-hmm. right now, especially there's there's this huge political divide, left and right, and so forth. Um, right is in the office, left is is out of office, and so you hear about resistances. You hear about rallies and and uh, movements mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff, and people, you know, pulling together, pulling their heads out of the sand, and going out and and you know, combining their their joint democratic voice to, uh, you know, to speak out against this terrible thing that's going on in the White House, whatever it might be, you know, resistance, resistance. And I'm thinking, you people are all suicidal. <laughs> <laughs> And then yeah, you get the well, same thing when it's flipped hard around. For people to see that when it's a le- when it's the left that? wing that's in when it's in the left wing that's in the White House, and it's the right wing that's doing that. And they're 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 screaming about all oh, the lefties are killing the country. They're so un-American. Blah 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 blah. Got to resist all this stuff. You're committing suicide too. <laughs> I mean, they're both committing suicide. <laughs> I love the way you get so passionate about it. Well, I, I never yeah, realized it's, it's, just how powerful that is and, and, and how true it is of both sides of the political divide. And, and that's just one field. I mean, you can do it with almost any field, but, but that one's kind of like that's the one that sticks out like a sore thumb these days because so many people are paying attention to it. But, wow, both mm-hmm. sides are committing suicide, and they're proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. Well, you know, the thing that I really realized – studying about aging is that the biggest thing, one of the biggest things we're up against of whether or not we're going to flow easily as we mature and go through these all these years that we could live here is that we're up against all this training from the time we were really little about what aging looks like and what a specific age sort of means. And it's all reflected in the culture by our friends, by our family. And they, Abraham was saying, you you have to turn the TV off if you don't want to age according to the way the society is going to program you and has been programming you because they said on the television they're constantly showing you whether it's a movie or the news or a, or a, a series on some channel, they're showing you age. 
and they're showing you what the normal concept of it is in the society. And they said, if you buy into the normal ideas about aging, you will be right there along with everybody else. And so they said, what you literally have to do is pick an age that you were robust, healthy, you had good use of your body, and you loved being alive. And then you have to decide for yourself, I'm going to be that age. That's the age I'm going to be. And they said, you can tell other people or not. But they said the biggest thing you'll be up against if you tell other people is the lack of belief that other people have in what you're saying and the pushback you'll get from them. So they, you know, I almost, I almost decided after I heard that, I said, I'm going to not tell people necessarily the age I believe I am, but I'm going to believe it so much. And then when they want to know about my age, I'm not going to talk about it. You know, um, my wife's father lived to be 96, and this guy literally ran a um, black and white photography gallery, one of the most fam- the most famous black and white photography ga- gallery in Denver for years and years. He stopped running that gallery when he was 92, mm. and he was this very you know beautiful man. He dressed every day impeccably. He showed up at that gallery. He had beautiful, you know, black and white photography from all over the world. He had a, a showing every couple of weeks. And um, when I knew him, the time I was married um, to my wife for those 15 years, I would get together with him often at a, at the dinner table and ask him and every once in a while about his age because, you know, this is something I've focused on a lot in my life, way too much, I realize now. <laughs> and he would he would never, he was hard of hearing. And so he would pretend like he didn't hear me because he would hear me when I said other things to him, like tell mm. me what it was like during World War II when you were with MacArthur in Iwo Jima, you know, in the South Pacific, and he would launch into this whole wonderful story. But if I said, so how old are you now, Hal? He would he he would just turn away from me, and he would act like I didn't say anything, and it was so funny. And I noticed that after those fifteen years, that guy was able to not get into age. You know, he did not want to look at it, and he but he wasn't really resistant. He just knew to not talk about it, and uh, and to see how well he aged, it was just remarkable. It's, and so I'm, I'm realizing now that this is literally what Abraham is suggesting, is that we pick an age and we stick with that. And we it's that, like that experiment you said that uh, the psychologist, what was her name, Mary Langer? Ellen Langer, yeah. Did? Yeah. Helen Langer? E-L-L-E-N. Ellen. Where she, yeah, where she took the people, she took a bunch of men, was it seven or eight men? And, um, oh, it was larger were, than that. It was, it, was a, it was, if I remember correctly, it was a group of like 20 or 30, and there was another group that was a control group. It was a good-sized group. Uh-huh. And she took them to some kind of a private retreat facility, and they set up the entire facility to make it look like it was 22 years earlier than the age of these men. Right. And they were their instructions were to go in there and pretend, get completely into believing that you're back in that time, right. 22 years earlier. Yeah. So they set it up with all the television programs that were on back then, all the news that was on back then, the magazines that were popular back then. They filled the place with all the memorabilia and pictures and everything. And for an entire week, I think it was, the right. men acted as if, they were living in that, back in that time yeah. as fully as they could, and um, and they 
actually then measured them afterwards scientifically and found, I think you were telling me, the men had literally improved their eyesight. Right. The length of their their fingers lengthened as arthritis went away in their joints. The, their height increased as they lost all that inhibition in their joints. Mm-hmm. And they literally went out and played touch football. Yeah. At, at the end. Yep. Yeah. It, it was it was truly a remarkable thing. The only thing that that bothers me is that the rest of the scientific community got on her case because she never published the published the the study in a peer reviewed journal, and mm. so their thing was, well, we you didn't give us a chance to criticize it. And and my complaint about that is, well, she may not have given you a chance to criticize it, but you have, you've had like forty years to replicate it. No one's tried to replicate it. And, and I'm pretty sure the reason they don't want to try to replicate to disprove her is they don't think that it's going to disprove her. They think that it's actually going to confirm what she found, and they don't want that. <laughs> you know, so. And why wouldn't they want that? Well, it would undermine their their existing uh, careers. I mean, the people who are going to do that are usually associated with the negative side of psychology, and that negative side mm-hmm. makes people a lot of money, as as uh, Sean Aker once pointed out. In, he actually pointed it out in his TED Talk. He says, if you come in to see us about a malady, we want you to leave with 10 because that way you're a client mm-hmm. for life. And it's mm-hmm. a little bit sardonic what he was saying, but I think there's truth to it. I don't think it's true for all um, therapists. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's true for a lot of them. I think there are an mm-hmm. awful lot who are in it just mainly because it's a great way to make a living. And, I mean, Joel once told me a story about a guy he knows who is a psychiatrist, and his psychiatrist friend told him a story about another psychiatrist he knew. Now, Joel's friend is actually a very good psychiatrist. He, he's all about the healing and getting people healed quickly and, and helping them move along and you know not keeping them forever on medication and so forth. But this psychiatrist was telling about another psychiatrist he knew about who literally bragged, get this, he literally bragged that he was on average able to process one client every four minutes. Can you imagine that? But that's what he was all about. He he wasn't into the clients. He was interested in the money. He was interested in how much money he could rack up in as short a period of time Mm -hmm. as possible. And he was so proud of himself. I mean, he really felt good about that. So who would who who would be who would have a vested interest in not having a study like that confirmed? Somebody like that. Why would why would he want? Well, it certainly certainly in the entire um, aging industry in this country, the aging disease industry, which really gets a tremendous amount of money in oh, the later yeah. years of people's lives. Um, you know, oh. they don't, you know, I mean, if there, if there's truly a cure for cancer or people really start um, making massive changes, just simply using their minds to, to believe new thoughts, um, then, you know, they're just not going to, they're going to be out of business. Oh yeah. The pharmaceutical so industry completely depends on the aging industry. No doubt about it. There, there's just, it's a direct correlation because that's who buys all the medication. You know, you don't get yeah. you don't get the twenty year olds buying all the medication. Which, by the way, you mentioned what the ideal age is for me twenty five. Mm-hmm. And I've oh, actually really? been, you would I, go with that, yeah, yeah. I, I think pretty good. I've been thinking about that for quite some time now, uh, long before we had oh. that conversation last week. Yeah, and I've been thinking about uh-huh. it in terms of, I wonder if I can shift my thinking, and I really believe I can, and not only shift my thinking but also shift the results. And my evidence is back in the eighteen hundreds. The average life uh-huh. expectancy was between 30 and 40 years. That was the uh-huh. average life expectancy. Today, that yeah, life expectancy yeah. is doubled. 
well, if it's double today, why can't it double by the end of my life? So mm-hmm. I'm aiming and it can. So so I'm aiming at 150 years. That would be about double what we have now, and uh-huh. perfectly healthy, feeling like a 25 year old the ty- the entire time. That's great. That's great. Yeah, and and the only thing we're up against is is to truly be in the belief that you know, and and like Abraham was saying, you know that. We get a lot of pushback, or we can get pushback from people who say, or our own mind that says, this is unreal, it's unrealistic, it's, um, you know, it's a dream, it's a fantasy. And, and that very thinking is the only thing that stands between us and it happening, is our lack of ability to truly believe it. And um, that's why they say, you know, you've got to withdraw yourself from television and so many things, because you've got to in a place where you can truly believe I mean even me I I have all this excitement about the fact that I can still dance so well I can still hike so well and I'm in my late 60s you know and I have friends that won't even go on a dance floor they wouldn't they couldn't even imagine dancing the way <laughs> I do they of course they might have never danced that way their whole life well, that, you know, that's because true. I do lots of spinning and twirling and amazing stuff you know for for my age, and I might look like a dork. I don't know. It's like but the guy. It's like the guy who uh, um, fell off his skis and broke a leg, and and uh, actually uh, hurt his uh, sternum and all that kind of stuff. And he ends up in the hospital. And the doctor says, "Well, we got you all patched up. I think you're going to be fine." And uh, the guy says, "Well, will I ever be able to play the violin again?" Or no, will will I be able to play the violin? And the doctor says, "Yes, yes. There's no reason why not." He says, "Good, because I never was able to play it before." <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's true, too. Um, I mean, the fact that you can literally reverse um, like those men did, you know, like they literally got rid of arthritis in their joints and they and they literally increased their height and their hearing and their eyesight. I mean, you were saying to me that, you know, how, how rare it is to change your eyesight. Oh, yeah. You know, because I. You know, what is it? Ophthalmology is so so quick to say that once the shape of your eye has changed, it can never change again. And and these guys were proving the opposite of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if, anybody who's ever gone to a regular eye appointment. And by the way, I have plenty of reason to keep going to eye appointments. And I go about once every 10 years. And the reason I have I the reason I have is I have um, macular degeneration in my left eye. I'm literally blind in my left eye. And when you have it in your left eye, there's two variations. There's one called dry, the other called wet, which basically means blood. And I have the wet version. The wet version is the worst one. And if you have the wet one, the prognosis is really bad. It's that mm-hmm. your, your right eye is going to get it and you're going to go blind. Well, mm-hmm. I've had it now for, I'm going to say, around 10 years. My right eye is doing mm-hmm. fine. I do take special vitamins that, uh, that there was a study that showed that certain vitamin combination actually can p- prolong your eyesight. So I, I do that. So I, I take the minimal steps that I can take, um, which is mm-hmm. a lot better than all the, the surgeries and so forth they want you to do that have about the same result. Um, but mainly, I've been working on getting my attitude up and getting, you know, believing 
differently from what they teach you. Because if you go into for those eye appointments every year, they talk about, well, oh yeah, your prescription changed, but that's normal. You know, you know people's eyesight uh, declines over time. That's why you get the, the presbyopia where you have, you know, the, you, you need special lens for the long sight and another special lens for the near sight. So they, they build it into the glasses and all that kind of thing. The message is constantly, your eyes are in decline. Your eyes are in decline. Your eyes are in decline. Well, that's why I don't go. <laughs> why do I want to get that message? <laughs> I need exactly, exactly the opposite. I need the message that exactly. says you can improve. You can actually get your. Yeah. Uh, here, now here's something that would uh, this I would get pushback on. I don't think most of the stuff I would tend to get pushback on, but this I would, and that is, I believe I can eliminate macular degeneration and restore the macula in my left eye and see again. Now mm-hmm. I'm not sure how mm-hmm. how exactly to do that, other than to feel good and to focus on. You know, the, the good stuff like Abraham talks about. I really don't know how that can happen. But mm-hmm. if I can believe, if I can convince myself, yeah, that can actually happen and just keep going for it, even though I don't see the result. <laughs> yeah. It's not an easy yeah. thing to do, but you have to just kind of go for it. And that that's my goal. My goal is to try to get myself to really firmly believe that the macula is going to return. And I think yeah. that if I can get myself to believe that, it will. I just don't know how it'll it happen. Will. It will. It definitely can. Um, Dr. Joe Dispenza, in his book, You Are the Placebo, you know, after he talks about that study um, that we just mentioned with these elderly men who who put themselves back 22 years earlier right. and actually changed their lives that way, not that I'm saying they all became 22 years or, you know, younger, but they certainly changed a lot of things. And um, he says that the reason this is possible, according to his scientific analysis, is because of epigenetics, uh, which basically is, says it's the science, I guess, of, of of the fact that, you know, we can make environmental changes that will change our genetic structure and that DNA in our bodies, as, of course, our whole body is a constantly transforming organism. Abraham said that there's nothing easier to change than your body. Isn't that wild? There's nothing easier to change than your body. And when you think about what we talked about last week, the fact that the body um, consists of 70 trillion cells with 25 trillion new cells being created every several seconds and every cell performing up to 6 trillion functions, then the thing that I keep thinking about the body is that it's sort of like a magic machine. Imagine a magic machine in a science fiction book or a science fiction film, a a machine that has 70 trillion moving parts that are transforming every several seconds by adding 25 trillion new ones and 25 trillion old ones going away, and that each tiny microscopic part of it, each one of those 70 trillion things is performing up to 6 trillion functions a second. Aren't we talking about magic i mean in the realm of like (laughs) incomprehension it's incomprehensible for us and so it's no wonder that the body can transform when we believe that it can you know and i'm not saying we should sit here and tell everybody that you know that they are this eternal being but but yeah you know i mean we do go through a maturation process and nothing comes here in the physical form that just to live forever, everything is constantly transforming. But, you know, think how much more possibility there really is for something like macular degeneration or, I mean, how do people have these spontaneous remissions of, of cancer, you know, of tumors that, 
to completely disappear where the doctors are just baffled and they're just, you know, their jaws are hanging down because they say, that can't have happened. You can't have lost that tumor in one week, you know, that tumor that took, you know, 15 years to grow to the size of a grapefruit and it's gone in a week. And yet there's countless stories about these kind of things happening. And so that's why, like Joe Dispenza's book, You Are the Placebo, he tells a lot of these stories in that book. And then he and then he goes on to tell the entire science that he's trying to create of this epigenetic way of changing the belief systems that are out in our society so that people begin to believe that it's possible to have a lot more things change than we think is possible, right? Absolutely. In fact, um, I actually have been trying to convince myself that what I have is not macular degeneration. What I actually have is macular regeneration. Yeah. And exactly. I, haven't, I, I haven't got there yet because I usually say macular degeneration first, but that's my one of my goals is to get to the point where I keep saying I have macular regeneration, and to say yeah. it to say it out of the blue rather than with all the special introduction about you know here's what I believe about the law of attraction and uh, I'm trying to heal myself and so forth. Just basically say I have macular regeneration. If I can start doing that, mm-hmm. I haven't done that yet. But if I can actually get myself convince myself, you know, dare myself to say to people I have macular regeneration. I'll get some really quizzical looks, <laughs> but it'll also be me putting out there in a really positive way that I want my macula to regenerate. Yeah, yeah. I'd say go for it. You have nothing to lose whatsoever and everything to gain. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, really um, the worst thing that happens is I get embarrassed. Well, that's that's the thing that they're saying about, um, you know, this, this way our society is. It's like um, if when um, – who was it who said that the um, – the sun doesn't go around the earth. The earth goes around the sun. Was that Copernicus or? Yeah, I think so. But yeah. you know, when we, when we, when science has ever made a milestone, you know, a huge paradigm shift, the people obviously all heard the story that the the people who put the new theory out into the society, into the scientific community, are the ones that get all the pushback. They get they get labeled as insane. They get ostracized. They get you know, people try to discredit everything about their experiments, you know, and it's still going on these days. You oh, know, sure. That, that people, people want to believe that the way it's been is the way it should stay because there's a comfort level in that. I know for me, you know, I, I have so many ambitions for myself at the age I am, and I want my 70s and 80s and 90s to be really resilient, and I haven't yet adopted the belief you have that I could live that I want to even live past 100. There's part of me that wants to get a new body because, as Abraham says, why would you want to stick around in a body that's continually maturing if it's not as robust as the body you had when you were younger? Now, your goal is staying a robust 25-year-old with your joints and everything intact. That's fantastic. You know, you could they – they said there's just wonderful, delicious deliciousness and beauty at every age, no matter what it is, you know. And do so I have, have do I have a body of a twenty five year old right now? No, I don't. But my goal and my belief is I can get there. That is actually yeah. possible. And that fly you're right, yeah. that flies in the face of uh, what uh, most of society believes. There is a good piece of news though where all that's concerned. And that is they no longer use the rack. They no longer torture you for having, you know, 
horrible beliefs. The torture is more like public ridicule than anything else. That's the worst of it. It's not like, you know, yeah. back in the days of Galileo where you get locked up for, for committing heresy by saying that gravity exists and that therefore our understanding of the way the, 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 the solar system works is, is wrong. You know, that was heresy. That basically was fighting the church and the church wasn't going to stand for it. Well, the yeah. church isn't going to stand for it these days either, but they, they don't have the power they used to have. <laughs> it just isn't there. So, you know, yeah, it's, well, it's a lot safer now to I'd, actually I'd be... Believe, I'd rather believe that than it's unsafe, you know, because there's a lot of people well, we know that it's are true. saying that it... We know it's true. I mean, that it is unsafe. <laughs> we, we, there, there are a lot of I, there are a lot of reasons why I would say, for instance, that democracy is way overrated. But there's one really good side of of the democratic movement, if you'll call it, and that is, we are now much more free to commit heresy. We are much more free to speak out on stuff that hitherto, up until that point, was considered, you know, something you just don't even say, you don't even look at, you don't even think about. Now, I, yeah. give you an example. I'm I'm uh, heterosexually straight, but for somebody who's gay, up until as recently as 10 years ago, being gay was, oh, you're just setting yourself up for all kinds of terrible stuff. 30 years ago, right. the, the, I mean, uh, we, we've, we've seen the documentation of what has happened with the gay movement and, and the gay pride movement and so forth and, and how so many people were really treated really, really badly. Look how that shifted. That was impossible. That was literally mm -hmm. impossible a hundred years ago. No way anyone could conceive of that. I mean, you can see it in, yeah. in like, uh, you know, talk about TV series. There's the Downton, Downton Abbey series. One of the key characters, an underbutler, Thomas Barrow, is gay. And he ends up being a pretty horrible character because he has no way to handle his sexuality in a positive manner. And so he turns into this really nasty kind of person who's constantly undermining people and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what kind of hope did somebody who was like that have in 1920? None. A mm -hmm. hundred years later, yeah. all of a sudden, the whole thing has shifted. You know, so yeah. it's pretty clear we live in a time where you're very unlikely to be burned at the stake. <laughs> it just doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Right, and thanks to the leveling function of um, billions of cell phones to take pictures of everything that's happening yeah, and right. report it to other people, plus the internet to make it possible to disseminate that that information instantaneously around the world. Um, as long as those things stay as in, as intact as they are, then there is huge leveling force to those that would want to. Say, for example, the pharmaceutical industry wanted to protect its ability to continue to put out drugs, and yet people were saying that you could change your health with using your mind, and you could change your health by being happier and being more joyful. Well, it's so happening. Then wouldn't they, wouldn't they want to stop that movement of joy? Well, but sure. they're not going to stop the movement of people being joyful. No. You know, I'm sorry. It doesn't <laughs> it's work. Already, it's already ingrained in the society, and all it takes is word of mouth to say, like we're doing on this radio show is just to say, how about being happier? How about being happier? How about having more fun? How about keeping up to pace with everything you're putting in your vortex? Exactly. And that'll keep you, that'll keep you younger, you know? Oh yeah. How about accepting the fact that, that you're an infinite being and that it's, it's literally okay that your body recycles because you're going to come back in a much more frisky, exciting body. They were talking about how when animals die in the wild, that they literally, like you said, you don't see an old wolf in a wolf pack. And why don't you? Because because the wolves know they're connected to source, just like all the animals are. And they know that 
when they get to a certain point where they're no longer feeling that frisky, robust ability to just hunt and run and play, then they just go off and lay down in the in the forest somewhere, and they literally close their eyes and and go back to source. Yeah, they transition. And right they away. said, yeah, they transition. And they said humans hang on so hard because they think that it's so important to stay in this particular body. But in reality, it's really fine to move on to another body. And that's also an option that's always available to us. Oh, absolutely. So it's sort of like a combination. Stay here as long as it's fun. Stay here as long as you as it's really interesting and exciting to be here. And when it's no longer interesting and exciting and you think it might be fun to go explore in the unseen realm, you can leave your body and go explore in the unseen realm. You want to hear something mind-blowing? I mean, I, yeah. Here's a mind-blowing concept for you. The pharmaceutical industry are dinosaurs. They're already extinct. They just don't know it. <laughs> Seriously. that That's literally where they, where it has to go. Oh, I... I would like that to be totally true. I oh, I think believe, it is. I know. think it is. I mean, we're we are yeah. on the leading edge of the leading edge by by talking about the stuff that we talk about on this program. It's one of the reasons we are able to give people their daily dose of happy. But even though we're on the leading edge, that doesn't mean that's it. That the leading edge and then it's done. The leading edge means that everything else is going to be going this way. Everything else is going to move this way. So it's just a yeah. matter of time. It's just a matter of time before yeah. the pharmaceutical influence just disappears. Because more and more people are going to discover their own innate built-in power that they, that they had all along. They just didn't know it. And they're going to learn how to use it. And what, as they learn exactly. to use it, that means every step of the way that the pharmaceuticals lose more and more ground, lose more and more ground until finally they lose their market. And that's going to be a great yeah, thing. More and more, more and more people realize that symptoms are are under their control, you know, like the huge movement of the natural foods industry and the natural medicine industry, the alternative, um, you know, healing modalities that are out there are becoming so, so um, prevalent and so widespread that that simply word of mouth alone and the use of the Internet, people realize there are other alternatives. And even the pharmaceutical industry is trying to get their hands on and the proprietary use of 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 uh, plants you know like realizing that plants have these amazing capabilities but yet plant the world of plants is a world of ease it's a world of natural methods of of achieving health and so if they start using more and more plants and their remedies they're going to be putting into the population more and more ability for people to control their own health and to realize the gentle effects of, of using plant medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, the, so uh, it's all going that way. Like you said, I mean, it, it's inevitable that it will. Oh, I think so. Absolutely. And in fact, the, the, what, what you were just talking about, the, the natural food movement and so forth, you walk into a whole food store, right? Because they're all over the country, so most mm -hmm. people know about Whole Foods. You walk into a Whole Foods store, and you get two kinds of things going on there. One is you see stuff that basically promotes the idea that Whole Foods are healthier foods, that uh, you know the natural foods are healthier, and that they they you know improve your your health, they improve your 
uh, longevity, they improve you know, the quality of life and so forth. And then on the other hand, usually closer to the checkout counter, you get the other stuff that talks about how uh, we've got to save the planet and all these terrible things are happening. It's kind of like the lefty viewpoint you know, of the political realm. And it, it always mm-hmm. strikes me that's really an interesting thing going on there because on the one hand, the, the first part is the part that you and I talk about. The, it's the positive part. It's the part mm-hmm. that says, here's the direction to go in. And on the other side of it, you've got all the resistance that they're putting up. So they're putting out the good stuff mm-hmm. and they're putting up the, the resistance. And it strikes me, isn't that like what most of us are doing as we're trying to learn the law of attraction? We're doing both. Mm-hmm. We're putting up the resistance yes. and we're reaching out for the good stuff at the same time and we're trying to learn how to let go of the resistance and do more of the good stuff. That's what I see when I walk into Whole Foods. I see, I see an entity, I see a corporate entity that's trying to put out the good stuff, but they're still locked into the resistance. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's funny. That's so true. Yeah. That's so true. And that's, and that's why I was so excited about this particular topic today because I know that I, I have resistance. I notice that I have resistance to having the wonderful, fun, easy, abundant, prosperous life that I want, you know, having the partner I want, the money I want, the house I want, the pra- the coaching practice I want, the fun I want, the dancing I want, the music I want, the, the hiking in the mountains I want, the camping I want, the traveling to other countries I want, all of that is in my vortex. And for me to let it all in, that's the that's the thing. That's where I see why am I why would I be resistant to any of that? Well, it's because I wrote a whole blog on this uh, earlier this week, and it's because as we were trained as kids, you know, we were trained out of that spontaneous, robust, happy, frisky young kid that knew how to create through play and knew how to create through joy. And we were told, you better get your nose to the grindstone and buckle down and quit being so silly. You're never going to get what you want out of life by playing your way, you're going to get your way, what you need in life by working hard. So there's no free lunch, dude. Basically, forget about, you can go out for 15 minutes for recess, but you got to be in that chair writing and doing arithmetic and producing results that their society will say, those are results we value, you know. And that's the greatest uh, lie, that right there, that is the greatest lie of, of the 20th century. And carrying into right. the 21st century, the idea of the nose of the yeah. grindstone. And, and I know it personally from my own experience because I did exactly what I was taught to do, just what you described. And I, yeah. I first went to work with other companies and, you know, I, I went from job to job because I didn't find anything that I really loved doing, you know, so I couldn't stick with it for more than four or five years at a time. But I eventually got to the point where I went out on my own and, you know, took the, the plunge, so to speak, to become a, a self-employed person. And even there, I was nose to the grindstone. I was working hard and so forth. And you know where I got? Mm-hmm. Nowhere. I yeah. actually ended up in yeah. debt. Despite the fact I had a successful business, I ended up in debt. I couldn't keep up. All because yeah. I stuck to a formula that was completely wrong. So yeah. I know for a fact that that formula is full of you know what. Oh, yeah, I, I totally know it's a, for the fact too. And And I'm even seeing like when I look around at the four or 500 books I have in my house and, and I've given away probably 600 in the last 10 years, but I've still got four or 500. <laughs> and yet every one of those books and all the files I have, they all represent my making effort to have the life I want. You know, mm-hmm. if I read this, if I take this course, if I study this, 
if I practice, if I learn how to be really good at this and really good at that, I will have the life I want. And the reality is that's the way the schools taught me how to get my results. But but the fact that they cut me off at age six from the playful creative person I was when I came into this world, we come in directly from source and we're sourcing all this incredible life force and then that gets cut off for all those years and then we spend the rest of our life wishing we had it back in a way, you know, and we're trying to get it through these means that are incredibly archaic. You know, they, they're trying to use the intellect to get to get life, to get spontaneity, to get creativity, and you don't get spontaneity and creativity and joy from just using your mind. Your mind's a wonderful thing, but you've got to be in your body and in your heart and excited about life. And they say that's that's the main reason for decline for aging is that they say you quit leading your own parade. You start falling back and listening to what others are saying, and you're not in your spontaneous catbird seat of saying, I'm in control of my life, and I'm choosing to have fun. I'm choosing to make my life a beautiful experience. I'm choosing to just kick out the jams and live my life out loud. Which you is know? fantastic. And that's where I feel like I'm at. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic that, that you're doing that even. Um, I want to tell you two stories that reinforce what you're talking about. The first one uh-huh. is the story of a gentleman from India. I can't remember what his name is. I'm going to try to look him up while I'm telling the story. But he's a gentleman from India who did a rather daring experiment. He put a computer at street level built into the wall of a building in a major city in India. And he, he left it at the height that kids could interact with. The building was in one of the most depressed, economically deprived city areas that you could have. It was like, it was the slum. It was the slum of the slums. The kids there literally had nothing. They practically lived on the street. Not quite because they actually had a place to go home to sleep. But for the most part, they were pretty much on their own. There were no schools. There was no opportunity. There was nothing. But he put this thing into the wall, and he hooked it up to the Internet. It was in English. They didn't speak English. (laughs) That's the part that gets me. They didn't speak English, and the computer was programmed in English. And then he left it there for a year. There were no instructions. There was no announcement. He just put it there. And a year later, came back and discovered that all of the street children had played with it, learned it, taught each other how it worked, figured it out together, and were using it to to give themselves an education that they were not getting. They did it without manuals. They did it without any training. They didn't have a single course. They didn't have a teacher. They just did it themselves. And that, according to traditional education, is impossible. But it mm-hmm. happened. And he mm-hmm. not only not only uh-huh. did it happen once, he's replicated it many, many times. So that's the mm-hmm. first story I wanted to tell you. The second story is that I helped to found a school based on a an educational model called the Sudbury model. And the Sudbury model right. is based on a school from Massachusetts, from a, a, a town in Massachusetts near Boston called Framingham, mm-hmm. Massachusetts. And uh, mm-hmm. Framingham is part of the Sudbury Valley, so that's where the name comes from. Ah, uh, okay. And it's called the Sudbury Valley School. The Sudbury Valley School was one of the experimental 
alternative schools of the 1960s, most of which fell apart and disappeared, but this one remained. And in this school, they did something truly remarkable. They left the kids to their own devices. There were no required classes. There were no, there was no curricula. There were no teachers per se. There were staff members who could be available if the kids wanted them for, you know, learning whatever. But that was it. They had the budget to be able to, you know, get some stuff if the kids wanted stuff. But literally, the kids ran the school. And not only did they run their own education, they literally ran the school. The, the kids run what's known as the school meeting. The school meeting is the de facto um, legislative body of the school. And there's also what they call the um, – oh, of course, I'm going to forget the term now. Not the discipline committee. Uh, oh, what do they call it? There, there's, a, there, there's a judiciary. Oh, judiciary. That's what it is. The judiciary committee, which uh, – takes care of, you know, infractions of rules that the kids themselves have established through the pr- legislative process of the school meeting. Mm-hmm. So literally, the, 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 the inmates run the institution, which <laughs> blows the minds of all kinds of parents and educators and so forth. And they have received all kinds of pushback, particularly from the more you know, strident uh, spokespeople of the education community, all kinds of rejection. Mm-hmm. But this school has mm-hmm. been in existence since 1968 was when they started forming, 69, I believe, is when they actually founded themselves. They have been jammed to the rafters every single year since then. They've had problems, for sure, but, they, but for the most part, they've been ex- extraordinarily successful. And the results that come out of this school are just, again, mind-blowing. For instance, wow. um, there, you, you can't treat it as a statistical study in the more traditional sense because we're talking about hundreds to thousands of people and most studies need thousands to ten thousands to hundreds of thousands. So the simple numbers aren't large enough to do your typical statistical study. And plus they're also very protective of the privacy of the students and the families. But nevertheless, there are some Mm -hmm. statistics that have come out. They actually have published a book that published a number of years ago um, that that Mm -hmm. talked about some of the statistics that they were able to compile based on their experience over a 30 35-year period, something like that, at that point. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I was able to glean by, by reading that book and comparing it to other traditional educational statistics is that kids coming through that system are three times more likely, three times more likely to be not only entrepreneurs but successful entrepreneurs. They are – I, I don't remember what the exact numbers are. Kids coming out of high school – are, I think it's something like 50 to 60% of them don't know what they want to do with their lives on graduation day. Mm-hmm. Whereas the kids coming out of the Sudbury school, close to 90% know exactly what they want to do. Yeah. And then, and, and then the really mind blowing part, everybody believes that for their kids, their kids have to get the credentials. They got to get the high school. Uh, diploma, then they have to go get the college degree. And these days, there's even more pressure to go get the advanced college degree, right? The, the master's or the PhD. Mm-hmm. And you have mm-hmm. to have those credentials if you want to get good work, if you want to get a, a good paying job and so forth, right? Well, yeah. they, they, these kids go through and there's no credential at the end. They don't have all the mm-hmm. credentials that you normally use in order to get into college. So you would mm-hmm. naturally conclude they can't get into college, right? Yeah. And you'd be wrong. <laughs> You'd be absolutely wrong because as it turns out, they get into college more successfully than their colleagues coming out of the public school system. The likelihood of someone who wants to go to school, who wants to go to advanced education, coming out of a Sudbury school, actually getting into the school of their first choice is higher than it is for someone coming through a public school. Yeah. So you wonder how do they do it? 
It's very simple. You know how they do it? They do it because of the way they learn. When you when you're in that environment, you learn because you want to learn, not because you've been placed in a classroom and, and instructed you're going to study this and then you're going to study that for another 45 minutes and this for another 45 minutes, but rather they learn when they want to, what they want to. So you get results like this. You get kids who, for years, aren't learning to read, and then all of a sudden they know how to read. And people say, well, where did they learn to read? And half the time, the people, the adults studying it, don't know where they learned to read. They just picked it up. They picked it up from their, their friends. They picked it up through their conversations. They just learned how to read. And every one of them, everyone, without exception, who goes through a Sudbury school learns how to read. They just don't necessarily learn to read at the time that the educators say they should have learned how to read. Mm-hmm. When it comes to learning math, this is one of the most startling ones. Kids who finally get to the point, because of some activity they're doing, they, they realize they need to learn math. So they'll go to one of the staff members and say, we want to learn math. They'll cover Six grade levels of math in six weeks. Six grade levels in six weeks. How do they do that? You know what a, a yeah, math department. You know what a math he- uh, department head once said in reply when he heard that he says, "I'm not surprised." He wasn't surprised. You know why he wasn't surprised? He says the only reason it takes kids as long as it does in the public school system to learn that math is because we have to spoon feed it to them. In other words. The public education system slows down learning in order to make everyone fit in to their preconceived idea about how education should proceed. We are doing a tremendous disservice to kids by putting them through public education, by forcing them away from their natural inclination. It turns out, I used to call it their built-in compass, and now I understand it to be the law of attraction and their own pursuit of, of what they know innately to be true, but... The, the act of depriving kids of the opportunity to pursue what they know deep down they have to pursue is causing tremendous amounts of damage. And I've seen it because I helped the found of, of Sudbury School, much smaller than the one in uh, Massachusetts, but I've seen it firsthand. I, I saw a girl who came in who had been in the foster care system, and she was depressed, she was angry, she was miserable, and three years, four years later, she became the school president. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so cool. en- enough of my rant, but I mean, it just goes to prove what you're oh, saying is 100% great. true. I wish I had gone through that kind of school. Oh, yeah, me too. Now I'm relearning. <laughs> I'm relearning how to be a, ch- a child again with my creativity. And, and my we can. And my... We can. There's no, yeah. there's never a time that's too late for that. That's the great news. We can do it starting right now. And we can just yeah. do it going forward. Yeah. So, I announce right now, I now not suffer, I I am now enthralled by the fact I have macular regeneration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I put in my blog. I, I, I said at the end of it, I said, I begin starting right now to, to let myself rediscover and reaffirm and reclaim, you know, my natural default state of joy and of interest and of excitement and enthusiasm and fun and I, I, the rest of the time that I'm here on this planet, I want to be doing nothing but exposing myself to more and more excitement about living in the present moment as the happiest person I can possibly be. Well, we could probably go on for hours with this. Unfortunately, we can't because we've already used up one hour. But let's carry on this conversation in other forums starting next week. What do you say? 
Yeah, I, I want to just keep it going. Sounds it's good to me. where I want to be. By the way, if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so. You don't want to miss any of these upcoming uh, podcasts we're going to be doing. And, Tom, if they're looking for a little coaching help, how can they reach you? Uh, they can go to my website, which is com, And there's a page on there for signing up for a free discovery session. Just fill out your name and your email address, and you can have a free hour of coaching with me to see whether you like it and to address something of interest in your life that you want to get coaching on. Excellent. Tom, it's been a pleasure. Let's do it again next week. You definitely, for sure, Walt. Thanks so much for putting the show on. We'll see you all again next week here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.